listening to Broncos This Week, presented by Original 16. The official beer of the Swift Current Broncos is Ryan Schweitzer and Craig Boschman. Broncos This Week podcast presented by Original 16. Time for a roundtable discussion. My name is Craig Boschman. I'm the broadcast and uh, community relations manager with the Broncos and also joining us at this roundtable discussion we've got... Trent McClary, uh, current chairman of the board and alumni. Dean Brockman, head coach, director of hockey operations. And Nathan McDonald, the director of business operations. I suppose we can just kind of jump right in and we'll start off uh, with question one is from uh, Brandon Weeb. He's kind of got three questions here. So the first one is directed at Dean. Uh, he says, Dean, what are you most optimistic about going into next season? And uh, what can fans be most excited about that will be different from this past year? Well, thanks for your question, uh, Brandon. I think uh, what's most, uh, what I'm most optimistic about is we're finally going to be a young team. And when I say young, uh, we potentially can have uh, two to three 16-year-olds in our lineup, two to three 17-year-olds in our lineup. I think those guys are the foundation uh, for our future. And I think, uh, you know, that's really exciting because uh, when you can have guys that, uh, that are drafted and are in your lineup on a regular basis, you know, you can build the team and, and start constructing the team and, and having, you know, your culture set, uh, you know, in a certain way. So those things are exciting and, and different from last year is the fact that we're going to be younger, right? And I think that's important uh, as you go through the rebuild or the reset phase. Um, you have to have young players in your lineup and you have to have young high-end players in your lineup. Uh, the second question from Brandon is directed at Nathan. Uh, he says, what is being done to enhance the Broncos' appeal online? Yeah, and this is, uh, again, thank you, Brandon, for your questions. This is a good question. Um, one of the issues that I noticed when I took over, there was sort of a, a disregard for consistency when it came to branding across all of our communications and all of our platforms and in our marketing. So um, we've uh, just started working with an agency, actually, um, going back into January, um, with the goals being on the formation of um, creating branding standards and sort of a, a style guide, if you will. Um, but uh, this process does take some time because we want to make sure that we're doing it right. It's, a, um, it's something that we want to invest the, the right amount of time and energy into. So um, I think it's going to go a long ways to making sure that we're having a a nice unified look across all of our platforms and all of our communication and marketing. Um, so looking forward to seeing the results of that, but I'm not quite sure exactly when it'll come through and when you'll be able to see the uh, the benefit of it, but hopefully it's uh, it's through this off season. Brandon Weeb's third question is uh, kind of direct to anybody who, who feels like answering. It uh, looks like Dean wants to jump in. So the question is, uh, who, are we hoping that the season is going to start on time this fall and uh, are we planning for the possibility of a delayed start to 2020-21? Uh, well, Brandon, your question, uh, you know, is really tough to answer, especially what's going on in the world today. But uh, we're planning business as usual. Uh, you know, the draft will be a little bit early, uh, April 22nd. Uh, in these situations, you're going to have plan A, plan B, and plan C. Plan A is for the season to start on time. Uh, plan B is, uh, you know, the delayed reaction into maybe mid-November. Then, of course, uh, plan C is, uh, you know, just to see exactly where we are at. And that, you know, that changes on a daily basis, as we know, um, you know, wherever the curb is at that particular time, whether there's a vaccine or not. But, uh, yeah, you have to have uh, several different plans in place uh, for it to happen. And, uh, Nathan, do you want to speak uh, from the business side of it as well? Yeah, I mean, I think we're waiting um, for a lot of decisions to be made from, you know, all the different levels of government because it all affects us too, you know, facility access, groups of people, 
Um, there's a lot of things that are up in the air right now. I mean, it seems like day to day there's there's huge changes um, in the decision making from a government level, which is understandable. Um, I think the, the one thing that we can control is that we're following the guidelines and staying at home and staying safe and maintaining social distancing so that we can try to fight through this as soon as possible and and hopefully have you know life return to normal you know as soon as possible. Uh, so thanks, Brandon Weave, for those uh, three questions. Uh, the next set of questions comes from Chuck Audette. Uh, looks like they're mostly hockey-related. So uh, the first part is, considering the extensive rebuild you inherited, do you consider you are where you thought you would be heading into year three, and what are the expectations for the upcoming year? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, thanks again for your questions, Chuck. I think, uh, you know, being in year three, um, yeah, are we, are, you know, where are we? I think we're we where we should be. I think uh, you know, obviously, you want to improve on a on a daily, a weekly basis. I think uh, considering what we had to do to get to this point, I feel very comfortable. Uh, we've had one draft under our belt. We need to get a you know two under our belt to, to sustain you know consecutive years in in draft picks. I think, um, you know, our expectations for the coming year, you know, we expect to be successful every day. And, that, and whatever that means and whatever that translates into, we want to win hockey games. We're trying to win and compete on a daily or gamely basis uh, where we can be. Um, young guys develop at different rates, uh, so it's, it's tough to predict that. Uh, I think, uh, you know, starting with a young team, you know, hopefully you can sustain them as they can wear down as the season goes along. I think it's important that we are competitive on a nightly basis. The second part of uh, Chuck's question is uh, specifically towards the draft and says, are you considering specific interests? And if so, what is the priority in the upcoming draft? Or will you simply be looking uh, best player available whenever the Broncos are up to pick? Uh, thanks again, Chuck. I, you know, for us, uh, we take the approach. Uh, you have to be able to adjust. Last year at the draft, uh, we watched Winnipeg move up and take two very high-end forwards. You have to have that flexibility to be able to adjust on the fly with your lists and, and who you're going to draft. Uh, I think it's obvious we're going to try and take the best player available uh, in certain situations uh, according to our list and according to our rankings. But I think it's also important that uh, if there's a player that uh, maybe s slips to a certain spot. Uh, last year, Josh Davies, uh, everyone thought he was going in the first round. Uh, we took him in the third round. Uh, so you have to have that flexibility, but its uh, priority is best player available. Uh, third part of uh, Chuck Audet's questions is, uh, do you expect the two European players in Mate Tolman and Sergei Alkamov to return for next season? Yeah, no, another great question. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of uncertainty around that right now. Um, you know, we've talked about potentially moving up the Euro draft. Uh, we're still waiting for lists to be um, circulated as far as potential players to coming over. Um, there's a lot of factors that come into play. Uh, both players, we thought, made contributions to the hockey club. Uh, so I wish I could answer that question more directly at this time. But as this uh, pandemic goes uh, the way it's going, there's just too many uncertainties to answer it directly. And lastly, from Chuck Audette, uh, which 16-year-olds do you think uh, would possibly be on the team for next season? 
Yeah, we always want our players to earn spots on our team. Uh, you know, we know that uh, Josh Davies had a big preseason and, you know, we expect him to earn a spot. And Matthew Ward is another player that we expect to, to come in and earn his uh, his stripes. Uh, on the back end, uh, you know, we feel there's a couple of players that can uh, come in and play. We just have to, you know, when we're constructing our roster throughout the summertime, we have to make sure that we know which players are ready. And if, you know, fall training camp will, will dictate if there's more than those two or not. Big thanks to uh, Chuck Audette for his questions towards uh, Dean Brockman. The next set comes from Larry Jensen. Uh, says, does the organization have a plan in place to improve the team's defensive core with all the apparent draft picks this year? Is the team prepared to use some of this draft currency to trade for some more experienced and talented defenders? Well, thanks, Larry, for the question. Uh, you know, defensemen are really hard to trade for. There's, uh, uh, there's not a surplus of them anywhere. Uh, we, are, we are always trying to improve our team, uh, whether it's through trades uh, for draft picks or using them. Uh, I believe the best place to get your defenseman is through the draft, and we have to do a, a great job in drafting them. Uh, people, The currency for, for really good defensemen is usually one and a half to two times what a forward would be. So um, you have to make those calculated decisions at the time. And, um, you know, certainly we had a couple of young guys I thought came into the fold and played pretty well, and their maturity um, should help us uh, be better on the back end. You know, but uh, we don't plan to to have a one-hit wonder. And what I mean by that is, is uh, you know, trading a high draft pick for a player that could potentially only play for you one season. So, uh, you know, we'll make those calculated moves, and obviously we do want to improve in every area, and we'll do it if the price is right. Big thank you to Larry Jensen for uh, that question. Next is from uh, Dwayne Smith. Says, I'm not a Habscheid fan, but look at the year he had after winning the WHL championship with the Prince Albert Raiders and losing so many players just like we did. We haven't recovered in two years, and he did in the year following. Why do you think that is? Well, I'm going to start with, uh, you know, it's a great question from Dwayne. I think it's important for people to understand you know, how the championship teams were built. And when I say that uh, the Swift Current Broncos did it a certain way and the Prince Albert Raiders did it another way. And uh, they were both successful. So um, when Swift Current built theirs, um, they had an older roster um, consisting of, you know, 19-year-olds that were in their prime. Uh, Prince Albert, you know, bounced out their attack with, you know, certainly 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds and even 16-year-olds. So contributions, uh, uh, you know, from Prince Albert's team to Swift Current's team, you know, they came, uh, Prince Albert's team, you know, had a lot of contributions uh, from every age group. Uh, Swift Current was built on 19 and 20-year-olds, uh, which is important, uh, you know, especially in this league. You know, so I think the differences are is, you know, the price tags as well. Uh, that were given up, uh, you know, in the year that Swift Current uh, won the championship, there certainly was a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of commodities moved around, uh, you know, for certain pieces. And I believe, you know, Swift Current made a lot of trades, um, you know, that were, you know, for players that were role players, you know. You also have to look at the fact that, you know, if you look at the two rosters coming back, compare the two, um, you know, you look at the players that were returning to PA compared to the players that were returning to Swift Current. 
I think, uh, you know, Prince Albert had a lot of first rounders and second rounders and third rounders coming back uh, where Swift Current didn't. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of variables to that. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get any of those 19-year-olds back that we could use as commodities to trade to, to quicken the rebuild. I think the rules had changed as well, uh, where you have to build through the draft rather than trade for prospects. Um, there's a lot of factors that come into play, but uh, that's where uh, maybe, Trent, uh, you can help me out with this question as well. Yeah, well, actually, you weren't even here for that team, so it's it's tough for you to answer. But uh, I know for us as a board, we we made the commitment to to go all in that year. So it was it was a conscious decision, and Dean was kind of left with the roster that we had the next year. But you just look at the the amount of trades that we did make, and not just for players, but for draft picks. You you look at the amount of first rounders, second rounders, and third rounders that we gave up. I think PA gave up a third rounder in all their in all their dealings so so they still had those commodities they still had those assets where uh the broncos organization we had to use a lot of those draft picks and even those draft picks are still uh in in play today so this this draft in 2020 some of those draft picks are still in play so so we made a a, a heavy commitment to that year and that's where pa didn't make as much because you also look at the competition that we had to overcome Regina had the Memorial Cup. Mushja had a championship team as well, and we had to get past them. So it was a it was a commitment, and the prices were very high because we had other other teams, other organizations in this division, let alone conference and league, that were making a run at it that year. There was also some pretty high end prospects um, that would have been you know beneficial to us. You know the Logan Barlogi and. Uh, um, Riley Stotts were a couple of players that are prominent players in the league now that um, that were traded as part of that commitment too for the for the run. And just to kind of mention too, like the players returning back to Prince Albert, you look at a guy like Ozzy Weisbot who I think had 70 points this year as a 17-year-old, and Protus who was a first-team All-Star. So those are the kind of players that came back to Prince Alberts, the, the quality of players they had coming back, whereas the Broncos didn't have that kind of young 16- or 17-year-old high-end talent to return to their team in 2018-19. Uh, this uh, next part of of, Dane's, of Dwayne Smith is more of a comment as opposed to a question. Um, sounds like it's more of on the business side. It says, you've been told by many fans that the music is played too loud, but you seem to think it attracts fans and that you aren't listening. Look at your audience in the age of people. They don't want to be blasted out. They want to visit. I've been a season ticket holder for 20 plus years, and my guest says that we should cancel because of the music. Yeah, and again, uh, you know, I appreciate comments like this, it, you know, having, you know, constructive criticism, something that we always welcome, we always want to get better. Um, and we actually, you know, we received this comment back in October. Um, we had two or three emails from um, this group of, of folks that are in section C and D um, that have issues with the sound levels. They asked, you know, that they be, you know, sort of as a compromise that they be they lowered at intermission so that they could visit and chat. Um, we heard their concern and, and we said we tried out and we did that. Um, and we actually kept that in place for the rest of the season. Um, we received some positive feedback from some of those in this group. Um, now the odd time, you know, it, it went up or down for whatever reason. Um, but for the most part, you know, the levels didn't really change since we implemented that change. Um, um, and so all I can really say that, you know, we, we intend to keep the, the intermission volumes down next year to, to try to help out with this. But, <clears throat> you know, this comment kind of does bring up a good point, um, sort of on the different demographics of all our, all of our fans. And 
you know, how we should be focused on one group versus the other group. Um, it's challenging. We have a really diverse fan base. Um, they have very different um, entertainment standards, and we have to ensure that we're engaging and entertaining, you know, all of them and, and understanding what they need. Um, but with all that diversity, I mean, it makes it really challenging, um, and it's a balancing act. So we want to, um, you, you know, while we want our fans to, that have been loyal supporters to feel comfortable, um, we also want to ensure that, you know, our fans from newer generations also enjoy the experience and become the next wave of loyal supporters um, that are with the club for many years as well. Um, and so to do this, you know, we, our league and teams, we look at best practices around the world um, and try to help understand, you know, not only how to compete with other possible outings that people might have, but also how to compete with things like Netflix and video games. Um, and so we look to, you know, the leagues that are doing this the best. And, you know, one of the best examples right now is the National Lacrosse League um, and teams like the Saskatchewan Rush, um, but also like NHL teams like the, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights that are pushing the boundaries of having, you know, a slightly, you know, louder sort of more party atmospheres. Um, and, and they're the ones that are really successfully bridging the gaps with those younger generations. And so I know that, you know, our market's certainly different than, you know, what you'd get in Las Vegas. Um, you know, we need to be willing to, to try to have some new approaches and new activities that um, take the inspiration from these organizations um, that are growing their ticket bases across all of their demographics. So, you know, this year we looked at nights like the, um, the tailgate party night um, where we had DJ Tolly T come in um, and, and retro night where we try to set up or sort of step up the atmosphere um, at the game. And we received a lot of really good feedback from um, those you know, younger uh, demographics. And to me, it was a strong indication of think that we need to keep looking at innovating and hosting, you know, nights like this once in a while. And, you know, certainly not saying that we're going to be doing it all the time. Um, but we don't want to shy away from, you know, innovating our in-game experience. Um, so it's sort of a, a long-winded answer, but there needs to be some kind of balance uh, when considering things like music and activities on game day. And it's, you know, we're not always going to be perfect, but we're, uh, you know, we're certainly trying to make sure that we're, we're sustainable long-term. Yeah, and then, uh, thanks, thanks for that, Nate. The other thing, too, um, from a board's perspective, we are a community-owned team. We are community-run and managed, and we all have stakes in the game. So, Dwayne, we thank you very much for your comments and, and questions. And please, if, if there are comments like that, and we, don't, we can't make changes unless we know what people are thinking and feeling. So we, we welcome these comments, we welcome these suggestions. And like, you, like Nate said, we're, we have a lot of different demographics that we're all trying to, trying to successfully go to games. So we'll, we'll do our best, and uh, we'll try to make, uh, make the experience better for everyone in the future. Okay, so thank you to Dwayne Smith uh, for those two questions and comments. Uh, the next one comes from Bert Grutzner. He says, I believe some of the fan frustration comes from a lack of understanding on how the rebuild is set to move forward on a year-to-year -year basis. Is there a rebuild for dummies version that you could provide to give those that are frustrated a better understanding of the team's direction and year-over-year -year goals? Well, I'll start with that. Uh, I've, I've been on the board for, oh, geez, I think about 14 years, 13 years right now, and, and that's probably one of the biggest faults I think going through this from from a board perspective is we didn't probably get out in front soon enough with the communication with the fans. 
I know when I got on the board, it was quote unquote the old boys club and and the board was this hidden secret society. Well, it's not. Believe me, we have a fairly young board uh, and it's been almost completely turned over since uh, since I first got on there. And uh, that's one of the things that we're trying to do more of. And hence this town hall show that uh, we're, we're going to try to get out. There's no secrets. There's no, there's no old boys club anymore. We're, we're all members of the community and we all do it for free. There's no paychecks. There's, there's no agenda on the line for any of us board members. But probably one of our biggest lack was just sitting back and, and letting the the director of hockey operations or uh, director of business operations just manage it. And, and that's where going forward, we're going to be a lot more present and help out with things like this, because unfortunately we kind of threw Dean into the fire. We had a championship year in 08 or sorry, in 18 and then moved pretty much into a reset. And how long will that take? It's, it's hard to say. And is there a rebuild for dummies book? I wish there was, but there isn't. And we're, we are feeling this out year by year, game by game, week by week, but we are going to build to the draft. And that's the only way you can build nowadays. After 2018, there were some rule changes about trading 16 and 17 year old kids, both for the teams that are going for it and also for the teams that are rebuilding. So it, it's a real disincentive now to do what we did in 2018 to make a championship team. But going forward, we have to build to the draft and that's, we've all recognized that and we, we were trying to do it in the past and we had a lot of years where we were very somewhat vanilla. We'd, we'd be in the sixth or seventh playoff spot and we might make a trade or two to get to the playoffs or maybe try to get to the second round. And, and then we made a conscious decision as a board to go for it in 2017, 18 and it worked. It was great. It was a lot of fun. And now we're paying the consequence to that. And we just go back a couple of questions and about the comparison between Prince Albert and Swift Current. Well, we, we went all in. Like we, we made some, a very high price to commit to go in and we're paying for it now. And the tough thing is we didn't get a lot of assets back, like even a Hepaniemi. Well, he was supposed to come back as a 19-year-old. He didn't. He went to play in Finland as a pro. So right there, imagine the value that he would have brought to the team, not just on the ice and for the fan experience, but as a trade potentially. And you look at what we got for Hofer, like it was a King's ransom. And that's, that was the kind of the key to rebuilding. And he came back and he was a top end player in the league as a seven, as an 18 year old. And we traded him to Portland for, for a lot of draft picks. And it was, it was great. It was kind of like the Cody Eakin trade. If anybody remembers that back in, was it 14 or 13? 11, I think. 11. And I think there's still players in play with that trade, just the way the draft picks get traded around and things like that. But so there's, there's really no like concrete roadmap of a rebuild because you're always drafting, you're dealing with 14, 15 year old players and 16 year olds and 17 year olds and girlfriends and different, so many different variables. But as a board, we need to commute communicate better that this is a rebuild, a reset, but also we're starting to finally see the assets that uh, the Brockman era is going to start developing with the 16 and 17 year olds. And before that, it was really kind of a, maybe a patchwork trying to find players because we didn't have any draft picks. 
And that's what we tried to acquire when we, we made the, some of the deals for the Minulins and for the Hofers and players like that that came back and the Kings. And so we're really now all of a sudden into the, into the Brockman era, but now we're finally going to start seeing some of the players. And it's nothing against any of the other players, but we didn't have a lot of, a lot of stock in the shelves, so to speak. And going forward, now we're going to start seeing the fruits of the draft picks. And, and that's how you build through this, this league. And we're looking at a sustainable model, more so like the Prince Alberts where, yeah, they won a championship and they had 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds contributing. And that's, unfortunately, we didn't have that in 08. And like our 19 and 20-year-olds were fabulous. And that's where we had to make a, a decision. Are we buyers or sellers at the deadline? Because you can't let a Godden or a Steenbergen or a Hepaniemi just mature and, and, uh, and leave the league without a championship or any other assets. So it was really decisions that the board made. And now we get to see some of the, the fruits of the Brockman era. And uh, we're, we're excited about the future because that's what we have to look for. We're, we're looking for this year to come in, see some of the young guys, because we do. We finally are starting to have a young team because to make that run in 2018, we gave up a lot of young assets. And you see the, the, the Stotts and the Barlogis of the world having success. Well, those were Bronco players. And we had to give them up for the championship team in 2018. And those, they're 18 and 19 this year. So now all of a sudden going forward, we finally get some draft picks, the first rounders that we've had. And, and we're, we're excited about the future. And that's uh, that for the roadmap for dummies. That's, uh, that's kind of the way it, the way it looks. Oh, that's great, uh, Trent. I, I think, too, to just to put it into a little bit of perspective, too, is, uh, you know, when we had players returning from that championship team, uh, they were the role players that we had to acquire picks with. Um, you know, unfortunately for us, uh, that was the priority that we had to acquire draft picks. And, you know, certainly they weren't our own draft picks. Uh, if they were our own and we had the first rounders in the last couple of years, everybody would love to see Savoy or Geeky, you know, from last year's draft or even Bedard as, a, you know, exceptional status player. Uh, you know, I think th th those are the things, uh, you know, unfortunately that we missed out on. Uh, we feel that we've, you know, had a good draft last year. We need to have another good draft. It takes four years uh, of a draft cycle to be successful. You know, we had one draft of our own, the 04s. Uh, I refer it to as a quarter tank of gas. Uh, you know, we got to a quarter last year, a quarter full. We hope this year's draft will get to a half. You know, and then next year you had three quarters. But I think... You know, next year it's exciting as well because we have our own draft picks back and we've had to give up a few of the lower end ones, uh, you know, to, to have players to be able to play. So, you know, all those things, uh, you know, being said, you know, it's important to understand that uh, you have to have those draft picks to rebuild the team. And a lot of things can change. It's, a, it's like a tree branch. They can sprout out in different directions and you have to be able to adjust on the fly and you have to be able to be successful uh, with your drafts. Yeah, and just sort of touching on that too, the one thing that I've been kind of impressed with is that, you know, when you look at what, what the roadmap is to get better, I mean, there's lots of different choices. Um, but, the, you know, the, the path that, you know, we've taken and, that, and Dean's done a really good job with is the one for long-term sustainability. It's not one where we're trying to 
um, get really good right away and then fall off the map later. It's something that, you know, he's really looking out for what's best for this organization and what's best for this team long term. And we've worked closely together now for a couple of years. And I think that, uh, you know, I really appreciate that mindset because from the business side, I mean, that's that's important. I, you know, our, our mission is long-term sustainability and, and the decision-making has been made with that in mind, which is, you know, something that I'm, you know, grateful for, so. Okay, so thank you, Burke Rutzner, for that question. Our next one comes from Ken Lindsley and uh, also kind of a two-part question. First one is, what is the term of a director as well as the election process for, board, for the board of directors and where are we at in the current cycle? Um, thanks, for the, thanks for the question, Ken. Um, Right off the bat, the, the director's terms are at all three years. So we've, uh, we, we get elected for a three-year term, and this, there's no, no cycle per se because we're all on different terms. We, we don't want the whole board maturing in one year. So really the way it works is, uh, is you, get, you get your three-year term, and then right now we're about a third, a third, a third. So a third is on a one-year term. We'll get reelected or elected this year, and then two and a three-year terms uh, going forward. And uh, actually, everything's online. So if you if you go onto the Bronco website, all the board of directors and their terms are, I believe, on there. Yes, they are. I think it's on the term of. I think it's even team and the staff, and it says board of directors on there. So that's where you can find that. Um, the second part of Ken Lindsley's question is: How do Bronco shares work if this is a community-owned team? It is my understanding they have no value and cannot be transferred or sold. Please help us all understand where these funds go when a person moves or passes on. Yeah. So <clears throat> the membership model that we use is. Um I mean, it's been in place for, for a long time, it, but um, I, it, it seems like it was designed similar to what the, the Green Bay Packers use. Um, they have similar goals um, with their community-owned team. And it's, I mean, it's really a, a donation to the team. It, it is a tax-refundable donation. It goes towards, you know, the team's operating um, fund and, and, you know, gets used for you know, day-to-day -day operations generally. Um, you know, the Green Bay Packers, when they do their membership drives, oftentimes it's for, you know, a large capital investment they're making, a stadium renovation or, or something like that that they're trying to um, to go out and achieve. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and in that model, like, it isn't transferable from um, a person to, the, to another person or, and if that person passes away, it does not go to next of kin or anything like that. Um, and that's, you know, part of the the structure, and and again, because it's more of a donation, and that's why it is you know a tax deductible donation. Um, you know that that those funds, yeah, they kind of just go to to help the operation of the team. But um, again, most of that information, if not all of it, is online um, under memberships. So you know, if anyone does have questions, it is all listed on there. Yeah, and and that the uh, the ownership of the Broncos goes back to 1985 when they first brought the team in from Lethbridge. So the original original stakeholders put up money for, for a share or a quote unquote ownership of the of the team. And even then it was it's a donation. It was a donation to get the get the organization to Swift Current. And since then we've had a couple different stakeholder or shareholder um, runs, but they haven't been too too fruitful. And that's where we're we're always looking for ownership people to come in and be stakeholders uh, but it is like nate said it's a it's a donation you will get a tax receipt from the city of swift current but it, the shares are not transferable 
and they, they do expire at, uh, at somebody's death or if it's a business, once they cease to exist. Okay. Thank you, Ken Lindsley, for those questions. Um, next from, comes from uh, Terry Krauchek. Uh, three questions. Uh, the first one, they say, is the first and most important one for me. Is it true that head coach Mr. Brockman has family ties to a current or past board member? <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, I'll answer that. Uh, thank, you, uh, thank you, Terry, for the question. There is absolutely no truth to the, the rumors on Bronco banter that... Uh, that Dean Brockman has any ties relationship wise to the board of directors or, or anybody else in the organization. Um, it, it kind of brings up a, a very touchy subject with the board of directors, uh, with uh, Bronco banter, because we've, we've heard some of the, we've heard some of the rhetoric that gets tossed around on that, on that forum. And unfortunately lots of it, a lot of it is, uh, is anonymous and there's been a lot of bashing and, Unfortunately, some some very good people, uh, like Kyle McIntyre, for one. I think that's probably who you're you're referencing with the with the relationship. It's it's completely unfair, completely unfounded, on some of the some of the comments that are made on that website. And like, we we love talking about hockey. I I love the Broncos. We're as a board of directors, we're we're all volunteers. We don't get paid a nickel. I think the only thing we actually physically get is lunch at meetings once a month. So that's, that's our compensation. So for Kyle McIntyre to take the abuse that he's taking online, it affects his job, it affects his family. It is completely unfounded. And, and I, I appreciate you, Terry, asking because we have, we're, not, we're not a hidden society. We're not, we're not a board of directors that, that wants to hide. We're, we just didn't think it was our place to be out in the spotlight, but I have no questions, no hesitation to answer questions. And it, it actually makes me quite frustrated and disappointed of some of the comments that have been made on this website. And it's, it's bashing. And we know that it's not the fans, like true Bronco fans won't say this kind of uh, rhetoric online. And it's, it's, it's really easy when people can hide behind an anonymity. And that's why, hence why we're doing the show. It's like, you call in, we will answer anything. We will answer any question as long as you put your name to it because we just want to hear from the fans. Like, there's a lot of people that just love to rant and rave and hear themselves speak or, or have another agenda. And we take that very seriously. And, and Mr. McIntyre resigned from the board because of the, the, uh, the comments that were on Bronco Banter and, and it's, it affected him, him personally, his, his work life. And it was completely unfounded, completely unnecessary. So it, it, really, it really makes us quite upset that people are going to that level to bash the Broncos, to bash the board, to bash Mr. Brockman, and it's unfounded. If, if you have a question, if you have a comment, call me. My phone number's in the book. Like it's, it's not hard to get a hold of any of the board members. Our names are on the, they're on the website under, I think, team, under board of directors, we will all happily, gladly answer questions because there's nothing that we're doing other than trying to make this a community-owned team to bring it to where we were two years ago, to have a championship organization, to be a franchise that is, is elite, to be a team that we're all proud of because, unfortunately, this, this city is very lucky to have a team. And if we don't support it, we won't be here. And like I said, we're trying to do our part in the board. Are we perfect? 
100%, not even close. No, no way. Nobody's perfect. We've made bad decisions. We've made mistakes as well, just like everybody else. But uh, to hear some of the bashing that's going on in Bronco banter and, and for the longest time, Bronco banter was fine. And I think it has been uh, much better in the past, but there's been certain times where people have used that form to, uh, to bash people. And it's, it, it's very unfortunate. Yeah, and just to jump in there a bit too, you know, from from my perspective, I mean, social media in general is such a positive thing. It connects us all. I mean, we're seeing the benefits of it right now through the the pandemic, and it's kind of how we're all connecting. But at the same time, you know, it's um, there was a study that uh, uh, was quoted, and I can't remember where it was from or anything, but it's something like sixty five percent of comments on on social media are negative, and it's kind of a sort of a shocking you know, concept, because at the end of the day, like, you know, we love sharing stories and, and positive things on social media, but then when you start reading the the comments and the replies, and that's where all the stuff kind of really starts coming up. So, I mean, I do, like, like you know, the, the passion that you see on a, on a site like Bronco Banter or on our, you know, on our Twitter post or in Twitter in general is, it's fantastic. I mean, we have amazingly passionate fans and supporters, and that, and we're lucky to have that. Um, but do be cautious of the stories and the rumors and the things and the rhetoric, like Trent was mentioning. I mean, it's a lot of it's kind of made up on the spot, and, and there isn't a lot of necessarily credible facts being posted. Um, so I, it's all fun. I mean, you know, engage on social media and, and do whatever it is you want to do, but, uh, you know, don't read into too much stuff. I mean, yeah, you're way better off giving you know, one of our board members a call to have a chat or come into the office or, you know, catch us at the rink and ask us a question directly because we're happy to answer it. And, and I think, you know, one of our our, our um, goals as an organization is to be transparent. So you're not going to find that we're, you know, hiding any secrets or anything like that. So, Well, I think just to speak to the social media side of it and everything like that, we, we have to remember what we're doing to the organization when we do that. Uh, you know, when you're recruiting and when you're talking to business people and you're talking to fans, you know, it, it certainly is a detriment when we're talking about these certain things. And uh, no, we're not perfect. We don't aim to be perfect. We're just going to work hard and be diligent. You know, and I always like to think of the positive things. You know, we think of, you know, a, a great player that this team had, Colby Cave, who's in a very difficult situation. You know, let's let's use social media and those resources to say prayers for him and, and to give him hope and his family hope so that they can get through this terrible time. So that was the first question from Terry Krawcheck. Uh, the second one is how much experience does the director of business have not certificates or degrees, but actual experience or years working in business or hockey operations? So I'll, I'll take that. Cause I was one on the, on the hiring committee when we hired, uh, hired Nathan. Um, first off, it was, uh, it goes back to 2018 when Diane Sletton, uh, gave us her resignation to uh, that she was moving on to a different different role with a different uh, organization. Um, we we sent out tenders or sent out uh, uh, word that we were looking for a director of business operations and and Nathan applied. He's Nathan's a charter accountant by trade. He's got an MBA. We did an exhaustive search and uh, he's he's the the candidate that came forward and and kind of jumped off the page. So he does have lots of, uh, lots of experience, real life and on paper. He went through the, uh, the hockey business of school in, uh, in Athabasca University. And uh, I'm not sure if anybody's heard about that. It's actually a pretty, pretty neat program that's put on by Brian Burke and, 
and uh, Craig Butt and Ron Robinson from actually the league. And, and uh, it, it basically goes into the business of hockey. So it, it was a great, uh, a great program. And Nathan was uh, one of the graduates of that program. And we we're very happy to have him. And he's got lots of business experience on the side in the accounting area, which is always good to have. Well, I think for me with uh, with Nathan, the one thing that impresses me about Nathan is, uh, you know, is is always his care and concern, and and always worry about the franchise first. And when we talk about franchise first, uh, both of us are committed to making this sustainable. And if the business side can work with the hockey side as well as it has in the last couple of years, you know, we're we're certainly going to be you know, long-term successful. And, and that's the key thing. Uh, you have to have people that care about the community and people that care about the fans. And certainly I'm speaking for myself, but I know Nathan does greatly and I do as well. Okay, so thank you, Terry Krawcheck. Uh, the last question from Terry is, uh, are all Broncos staff members allowed to give away tickets, food, or drinks to family members at home games? Yeah, and... Um Part of, you know, the way we reward our our staff members for their, you know, exhaustive efforts during the season is that they they get, a, you know, a couple of season tickets for them and their family uh, to come to games, but that's really the extent of it. Uh, no, um, they can't give away free food or, or drinks to their their family or friends. That's not really part of uh, the deal. It's mostly just, um, you know, a couple of seats um, for their you know, their significant others and um, for those that have young kids, um, for them to come to the games and and see their significant others some of the time during the season because they're working so hard. So it's some of the only times that they actually get to sit um, sit and talk to them for a little bit if they're not running around on their feet. So no, they don't get um, free food and drinks, but they do get uh, seats at the games. Uh, thank you, Terry Krawcheck, for those three questions. Um, we're hoping to get some some people that we can call and talk to uh, live here on the podcast. But as of right now, we're moving through our questions that have been emailed to us. So we'll move on to now question from uh, Daryl Bakken that has a couple of questions. This first one is one that I think has been on the line, uh, the minds of a lot of people throughout Swift Current. It says, I would like to ask your reasons for not broadcasting the games on local radio. Yeah, you bet. Uh you know, thanks, Daryl. And like Craig mentioned, this is you know a question that we've had before. Um, um, it's a bit tough. You know, I'm not going to go into the the nitty gritty of the decision that was made in the past. I don't think it's fair to discuss you know the the details that were um, discussed between either party. I don't think it's fair to each party to do that. Um, but I you know I can say that we we have a good working relationship with Golden West. Um, we've continued to have an open dialogue about a positive relationship um, that would be mutually beneficial. And so I hope we continue to, to progress towards something that accomplishes the goals of both parties. Um, but I know both parties are, are only wanting to, to move forward if it makes sense for both sides and it's something that's um, constructive um, for the future. So uh, that's really all I'll, I'll go into on that part right now, but um, thanks for the question. Okay, thank you, Daryl Bakken, uh, for that question. Uh, just the one from him. So Dustin Funk uh, now has his questions in next. Uh, he's got three. So the first one says, the optimism and goals for the club are both squarely on the future. So with that in mind, why does the club not post on the website their prospect list with either link to stat lines so fans can easily check in on their progress uh, and uh, seasons that they've had? 
Well, thanks for the question, Dustin. I think uh, there's a couple factors that go into that, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I do believe that we do on our podcast, we do have a, a prospect watch um, on there as well as we do on the website. We have all our draft picks on there. I think there's a competitive advantage also to not having your 50-man list out there. Um, I think to be honest with you, uh, sometimes that can change rapidly and it can go in different directions uh, depending where you're at with things. Um, we, we don't, uh, there's a lot of factors that come into play when you drop a player off your list um, because of the fact that you need to contact the family and you need to discuss the reasons why they're being dropped. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's important that we do understand who our potential players are in the future. I think their only potential on paper as well because uh, there's a development curve that can happen throughout their season as they mature and grow. Yeah, and as Dean mentioned, I mean, we want to cover some of our key prospects and, and get people excited for the future. And I know uh, Craig's recently been doing some good writing about the prospects and, and the Crescent Point Down the Pipeline segment on the podcast gets into pretty you know good depth with a lot of the the players that we've we've drafted, um, and, and Craig and Swites do a good job of of uh, getting into details with them and trying to introduce our fans to their their personality and their character and their story. So that's one of the ways that we try to uh, to keep fans engaged with some of the, the younger prospects that are that are up and coming. Yeah, and I'd, I'd also like to jump into that uh, that uh, question also from from both as a, a hockey parent of having a, a son. At the uh, the level at or the age to be uh, potentially playing in the Western Hockey League, and also as a player, uh, it's it's really difficult because especially for the transactions, and that's kind of the next part of the question, is transactions, and it, it's really hard when you're dealing with 14 and 15 year old kids and their emotional state, and and it's it's hard sometimes because it's not always a happy story. Like there's lots of kids that unfortunately will be on our list that won't make it, and it's also dealing with them so it's always the it's always fun to talk about the the good scenarios it's like oh yeah we we listened and we played with the team the next year but there's also three kids that he jumped over and we have to make he make a make a conversation with them that we're going to reassign them or things like that so especially with the transactions you look in september well kids don't make the team until the end of September yet kids are getting reassigned on a regular basis and for all those transactions to be out there it's it's really hard so we're actually we're there's again there's no secrets we're not trying to to hold anything back but there's a lot of young kids that we're dealing with that uh, we don't want to have their, their name splashed across the media screen that they've just been reassigned I don't think that's fair and I don't think that that's uh, a way to do business Okay, so thank you, Dustin Funka, for that question. Uh, the second part of his question is more of a business uh, decision, I think, here. It says, any chance the road package of WHO Live or whatever it may be called in the future can be added to the season ticket packages? Yeah, great question, Dustin. Um, you know, I, I hope so. I hope there's a framework that allows us to do so. Um, it's something that we looked at last year, and I think it's been done in the past. Um, but the way the program worked... Um, it didn't make much economical sense as sort of one way or the other um, fans would have to cover the cost of it. Um, but going forward, um, the league's exploring some options and hopefully we'll be able to offer fans some sort of offer um, as it relates to the road game broadcast. But we're waiting for progress to be made on this um, at the league level first 
And at this point, I just, I honestly don't have too much detail on what it will look like going forward. But, um, you know, I think it's something that we'd love to be able to offer to fans if it makes sense for fans and for the organization. So thank you, Dustin Funk, for those two questions. Uh, our next one comes from Terry Ridley. Uh, it's, a, it's a question here. It says, most of us long-term season ticket holders realized the consequences of the 2018 championship run and knew it was going to be a longer rebuild than we would have liked. That being said, I think the trades we made for players and draft picks was good, and I'm excited. I do believe that the players tried their best this past year, but I believe they needed more on-ice system training and maybe more time in the training room. I found our conditioning may have been an issue. We seem to run out of steam in the third period of most games so more of a comment as opposed to a question but uh, Dean just uh, your thoughts yeah thanks Terry I appreciate the question I think uh, you know with the, the construction of our roster uh, being you know what it is we, you know we obviously lack the high-end talent uh, or the difference makers in the games that can set the tone or change the complexion of the game uh, when you're up against it or when you have younger players playing against more experienced players or or NHL players for the next year uh, you know it can be a you know it can be a battle and it's a very tough goal um, you know so certainly you know we we do definitely lacked uh, you know the difference makers in our lineup which are usually the first round picks or the second round picks uh, you know some of those guys and it's it's hard to uh, sustain or maintain through three periods if you're always chasing and uh, yeah you know it's just kind of the roster where it's at uh, at this particular time and uh, certainly you know the difference makers weren't there for us to kind of set the tone or hold the structure of the game plan in place at all times so yeah it's a great question and uh, you know we'll certainly you know as time goes by we'll certainly work on those things more diligently as well. The second part of Terry Ridley's uh, comments, again, more of a comment as opposed to a question, but uh, regarding the concession, it says, any food I did have at the games was very good. The common concern was the excessive waiting time for getting food. Fans want to get the food and get back to the seats to watch the game, and I believe a lot of fans got frustrated at missing parts of the game while waiting for their food. Yeah, it's a good commentary. Um, it's something that I've, um, you know, we certainly heard a little bit of concern from the fans, certainly at the, the start of the season. Um, when you know in the early parts of the season, the concession was establishing a whole new staff, um, and there was a you know a learning curve that they had to go through. Um, there's a balance between fans wanting fresh, quality food um, and quick food. Um, and the first half of the season, uh, you know, I have uh, I'll be totally honest, there was um, some concern with that. Um, but um, we did see improvement through the the latter half of the year. Um, and I certainly didn't have the same amount of comments. Um, some of the people that I talked to were still um, considering the, you know, the situation at the start of the year um, as as the standard that the concession had set. But um, you know, the last third or last quarter of the season or so, um, we reconfigured the lineups and the menus to allow people to line up based on on what they wanted. So there was a line for quick pop and snacks. Um, another one for regular hot food and then another lineup for specialty items so that you can make the choice as to whether you wanted to get something you know quick and easy or if you wanted to wait for something a little bit better um and i think that that actually helped out quite a bit i certainly didn't see much of the same problems um for that that latter part of the year um but in, in general i mean that you know we we definitely hear you it's something that we also feel and it's something that you know this off season we're making sure that we're focused on doing, you know, setting up the, the concession the right way going into next year and starting off with a bang and having, um, 
you know, optimize the performance of the concession and with, uh, you know, hopefully a strong um, returning staff that will really help us to hit the ground running going into next year. So. All right. Well, that was all the uh, email questions we got in. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get any phone line questions, but of course, appreciate uh, everyone who sent in their questions and uh, hopefully we're able to provide some uh, important answers to those questions throughout this. Uh, just some final thoughts here. I guess, uh, Trent, we'll kind of start with you and just your, your final message to anyone who may have listened. Well, I just want to, first of all, thank everyone for the uh, email questions that they sent in. Um, my final thought would be, uh, we're, as a, especially as speaking from the board of uh, director's perspective. We're we work for the community. Like, we work for this franchise. We're we're all volunteers. We want this franchise to be where we were two years ago, and not that this is a bad franchise. Even right now, we're we're at a stage now where we are rebuilding. There was a reset. There was a championship season two years ago, our third ever, and we're excited for the future. And if you have any comments, if you have any questions, if you have any anything that you want to know, we're available. Like the, the board of directors list is on the website. Find us. We're not hard. We're not hiding. We don't have a secret society of any way, shape, or form. So bring, bring anything forward. Like you said, we're, we're here. We're, this a, we're volunteer. It's a voluntary position. We, we have motion on the board of directors so that there are board of directors coming on and coming off. If, if you want anything, let us know. Like I said, we're not hard to find. We're at most, if not all, the Bronco games. So uh, we just want to, we appreciate the fans. We, we want to get more fans in the building because if we don't, unfortunately, this team will not survive. And that's the, that's the message. It's like, it's your team, the community, the Southwest Saskatchewan. And we have great partners in different communities around the Shonovans, the Webbs, the, the, the Cabries of the world. And, and this is your team. Please support it. If you have any questions, by all means, give us a shout. Yeah, that was great, Trent. I think, uh, you know, personally, you know, Swift Current is a very passionate place about their hockey team, and that's what I love about it. I think the passion of the fans, uh, you know, make the hockey experience that much better. And just want to thank all the fans that attend our games and that took the time to email us. And, you know, but a special thanks to all the people that volunteer their time our billets, our corporate supporters, uh, people that, uh, you know, took the time to ask questions, uh, you know, and that vast interest in the hockey team. I think, uh, you know, without that interest and that support, uh, again, we don't exist. Yeah, I mean, I'll just uh, cap it off by, you know, reiterating the, you know, the thanks to our fan base. I mean, it is, like everyone around the table here has said, it is a passionate group and we're, we're lucky to have fans that really care about hockey. It's a unique market like that. Um, I think we're trying to, uh, like we've said before, build a you know a sustainable future, something that's going to you know carry on for for many years to come, um, and build on that uniqueness of our market and, and create you know my favorite word in sports is tribalism, where we're all you know supporting the the club and you know extremely passionate and love the club. So um, you know, just again, wanted wanted to say thanks um, going into these. Very uncertain times, you know, looking into next year, obviously a lot of folks and a lot of businesses have been negatively impacted. And, um, you know, I truly hope that everyone um, is able to do what they they need to do to get through and and uh, stay safe and um, look forward to, to hopefully being able to celebrate as a community, you know, as soon as possible and jump into that rink and be loud and, and, and interact, you know, less than six feet apart, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and have some fun. So 
thanks everyone for their questions and and look to see you guys around the rink. You've been listening to Broncos This Week, presented by Original 16.